0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day, in the city of David, a Savior And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Jean, and I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic, and I want to welcome you again to our Sunday morning service. Uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas are called Advent, according to church Tradition and the word advent it it simply means the arrival, the arrival of a notable person or event. And isn't it true that Christmas, more than any other holiday on our calendar, it is built upon anticipation. It requires the most work by far in terms of preparation, weeks, months in advance. Before Thanksgiving this year, our Christmas tree was assembled and ornamented. Shopping for Christmas presents, it begins on Thanksgiving Day, even before, to maximize the Black Friday deals. Christmas lights, tinsel, wrapping, holiday parties, secret Santas, gift exchanges, Christmas music, arranging travel plans, organizing family gatherings. So much Preparation, anticipation, and expectation. And then Christmas comes and goes. And then it's back to business as usual. Lives are, for the most part, unchanged. You have the same struggles, the same insecurities, the same issues. So every year we spend four weeks looking back to the very first Christmas. We want to to shut out all the noise around Christmas. We want to shake all of the trappings off that have surrounded Christmas and look at it for what it truly means and brings. And what we find is that Christmas, for some, it subverts and it upends everything. It is an assault on the status quo. But for others, it goes largely unnoticed. This week, as I was preparing this sermon, I I was at a Panera Bread, and the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing came on. And because that's what today's text is about, I listened and I meditated on the lyrics. Beautiful, beautiful. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. But no one else noticed. Everyone just went about their business. The couple next to me, they were arguing about holiday plans. The teenager in front of me glued to her phone. I wanted to stand up and say, can everyone just stop what they're doing right now? Can we talk about what we're hearing? Do you have any idea how mind-blowingly explosive Christmas is? And then the song changed. And I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus by Jackson 5 came on, and the moment was over for me. (laughs) Christmas is everywhere. But how many people really get it? The first Christmas was not too different. Very few people recognize the true meaning of Christmas. God quietly infiltrated this planet. But for those few witnesses, it would change everything. So this sermon series is about looking at different witnesses or groups of witnesses. Every week we do this. Two weeks ago, we saw Christmas from the perspective of Mary. Last week, we saw a very different perspective, the perspective of King Herod. And I want to invite you today to join a group of shepherds to step into their shoes as they witness the first Christmas, to see what they see, to hear what they hear, to ponder what they ponder, and hopefully at the end, you will be able to respond the way they respond. So join me in a field outside of Bethlehem, a small city just six miles south of Jerusalem. And the city is bustling because of an empire-wide census ordered by Caesar Augustus. And it's a makeshift holiday of sorts because people are required to return to their hometowns to be registered. So Johnny comes home from college to be registered. Joseph and Mary, we saw, they have to return to Bethlehem. So it's family reunions. The city is noisy and full. There is no room at the inn. But the fields outside are quiet and still. All you hear is the bleating of sheep and the shuffling of hooves on the rocky ground. You look around at your shepherd companions, and they aren't people of status or influence. They don't have nice clothing or jewelry. Their hands are rough from work, and they look weathered from a life outdoors. Unlike the people in the city, these shepherds, they don't have a permanent home. And they live a a predominantly nomadic life, wandering the fields. They're not plugged in to a larger community. They are a lowly and lonely people. Forgotten, ignored, overlooked by mainstream society. And you have to wonder why these people are among the first witnesses of the Incarnation. You know, commentators say that the testimony of shepherds It was inadmissible in a court of law. Wouldn't you want more reputable, more reliable witnesses to tell others about a miracle of this scale? They're not educated. They're not even religious. Because they can't observe all the religious laws that the people in the city could keep. These people often have to work on the Sabbath. They deal every day with animals, raising them, caring for them, protecting them, shearing their wool, selling it, and then delivering the sheep to eventually be used as sacrifice or food. It is a difficult life. Absent are are any of the comforts that we're accustomed to. Restaurants, hot water, toilet paper, memory foam mattresses. And it's also a monotonous life. No Netflix, no fantasy football, no literature, no art. Especially at night, when the flock is the most vulnerable. Predators, thieves, scavengers. Nights were the hardest. You had to be the most alert. You couldn't afford to be distracted or fall asleep. Even a casual conversation might mask the noise of an approaching threat. So you sit with the other shepherds, positioned around the flock. You sit, you listen, you watch, and you wait. You wait for the dawn to come. And it happens in an instant. An angel, A heavenly messenger of indescribable brilliance appears to the group, and you behold the glory of the Lord. Glory in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's described as a weightiness, a heaviness. So perhaps it feels like an elephant is sitting on your chest, Uh, a suffocating sense of the foreboding presence of God. The New Testament word for glory that Luke uses here is duxa, which means a dazzling manifestation, a splendid array of brilliance, blinding lights piercing through the dark night. It's hard to make sense of what you're seeing because you've never seen anything like it before. But the one thing you feel in this moment more acutely than anything else is fear. Fear. Christmas is supposed to be about warmth, coziness, love, joy. But you feel none of that here. In fact, things were rather calm and peaceful before the angel showed up. You go from the dulcet tones of bleeding sheep to the jarring and the unbearable dissonance of the transcendent. All you feel is a fear that you've never felt before. The Greek word for fear that Luke uses, phobos, from which we get phobia, it is doubled for intensity. What we're talking about here is sheer terror. It is one in which you feel completely exposed and vulnerable. So think that feeling of the most shameful and secret thing about you being announced to the world. Think of that multiplied by infinity and you start to get close. Nothing else matters in this moment. Not job, deadlines, promotions, vacations, relationships, breakups, children, parents, cancer, death, nothing. Now you understand why all Isaiah can say when he beholds God's glory is, woe is me, I am undone. It feels like forever, although it must have been only an instant. And then you hear the most beautiful words you've ever heard the exact words you need to hear in this moment, fear not. This angel has not come to threaten, condemn, destroy, but to herald good news of great joy that will be for all people. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The long-awaited Savior promised in the garden to Adam and Eve, promised to Abraham and his descendants, promised to David prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about the Messiah who would come to save God's people. This Christ the Lord is born this day in Bethlehem unto you. You know, the shepherds, they had no doubt heard of the promised Messiah. Every Jew, religious or not, knew of the promised Savior, especially since the Romans had conquered Palestine. But the birth of the Savior, it it was good news to be sure, but what puzzles these shepherds the most is this one phrase, unto you. Unto you is born this day. Aren't babies born unto their parents? Right? Andy, Caleb, Nathan are born unto Gene Jean and Jeannie. But the angel says to these lowly shepherds, Jesus is born unto you. Why? Why us? That's what they're thinking. We're, we're nobodies. Are, are you sure you have the right people here? Maybe, maybe King Herod, maybe, maybe some religious people, but, but but us, unto us. But there's no mistake. This salvation is for you. It's, it's not about what you've done. It's not about your social status, your wealth, your moral virtue. Unto you is born this day a savior who is Christ the Lord. And as if to put a finer point on it, the angel gives a sign. The angel says, You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Where would this great and glorious king be found? Not snuggled in the finest house in the city, in royal linens, surrounded by servants. This king lay in a vessel very familiar to shepherds a manger. Where many a sheep fed from when they were housed indoors. And you're watching all of this, and as your brain is scrambling to process and make sense of all this, all of a sudden, the skies open up. The curtain is pulled back, and the angel is no longer alone. And you behold thousands and thousands of the angelic and heavenly hosts praising God, the chorus of heaven itself. An army of angels revealed in all of their glory. Together they proclaim, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, just when you're thinking about Christ being born in the ordinary, you are given an even greater glimpse of glory. And this is what happens at Christmas. The temporal and the eternal, the ordinary and the glorious, the imminent and the transcendent, God and man, these two come together In Jesus Christ, the God-man. Christ and Lord. Hear what the angels proclaim. Highest glory to God. That's transcendence. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's imminence. The glory of God descends to earth in peace. This is the heart of Christmas. And this peace, it's not an earthly peace. It's it's not a political peace. It's not a a psychological peace. It's not a zen. It's not even just a merely symbolic peace. Christmas peace is a peace between man and God. You know, in the previous chapter when John the Baptist is born, his father, Zechariah, gives a prophecy in which he calls peace peace the forgiveness of sins. What Christmas tells us is that your greatest need is peace with God. Your sins need to be forgiven. You know, the reason the shepherds were so afraid when the angels showed up is because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. It must be removed So ultimately, your only two options are the terror of God or the peace of God. Fear or fear not. You know, if you had asked the shepherds before the angel showed up, what is your biggest need? What do you want for Christmas? If I could get you anything, what would it be? They might have shared about wanting a new job that pays well. They might want to get married, have some kids, retire early, vacation. But what they get for Christmas, it is inconceivably greater than what they could have ever imagined. Eternal peace with God. Transcendent glory in the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Do you realize... That your greatest problem in life is your sin? It's not your struggling marriage. It's not your dad's cancer. It's not that boss you hate and who hates you. It's not your depression or anxiety. It's not your past failures or mistakes. It's not your addictions. Your biggest problem in your life, your greatest need is peace with God. The shepherds are amazed. And the angels, they disappear. They return to heaven. And then the shepherds call a group meeting. They call you over and they say, Hey, let's go over to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened. The Lord has made known to us. Let's go. They go in haste. They just leave their flocks. They run to Bethlehem. It's the middle of the night. And you find yourself knocking on doors. Ma'am, I'm sorry to disturb you this evening, but by any chance, is there a baby in your house or barn wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger? No? Sorry. After you've knocked on a few doors, you hear a cry. He's here. You race over. You enter the room. Joseph lets you in. And you see Mary, a shy young girl, exhausted after giving birth. And the shepherds gather around the manger. And there they look. And they see with their own eyes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The shepherds behold the baby who would grow up to become their good shepherd, who would at the cross lay down his life for his sheep. Unto them this Savior is born. These shepherds, just a few hours ago, they were watching their flocks by night just another ordinary night, watching, waiting, waiting for the dawn. But now they realize that an altogether different dawn has arrived. The dawn of a new kingdom, a kingdom of peace. And for these shepherds, everything has changed. These lowly and lonely shepherds, once withdrawn and isolated from the city, now they race into the city. They tell everyone they can about the things that they have seen. They don't care what people will think about them. They don't care how crazy it sounds. They don't care what their reputation is. As the angels proclaim good news to them, they now declare good news to the world. And then they return to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for everything that they had heard and seen. I want to ask you, How will you respond to the arrival of Jesus? Now, you might be thinking this. As nice as it is to imagine that I was there, I wasn't there. I didn't see what the shepherds saw. I didn't hear what the shepherds heard. If that did happen to me at Christmas, if an angel did appear to me, and the multitude of the angelic host stretched out across the night sky— on Christmas Eve, and they sang Handel's Messiah, if I saw Jesus with my own eyes, then yes, I too would freely tell the world about it. I would also rejoice and glorify God with everything I had. If you're thinking this, can I suggest two things to you? First, I want you to know that you have much greater cause to rejoice than these shepherds. You know, they behold the dawn of a kingdom of peace, but we have beheld much more than them. What you and I know is far greater than what they knew, because they knew only a manger. But we know the cross, the empty tomb the ascension of our Lord. We know that Christ reigns and he will come again. You have far greater reason to return tomorrow to your fields, glorifying and praising God for all you have heard and seen as it has been told to you. My second suggestion is that you consider the merry approach to Christmas. Christmas. Verse 18 and 19. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, the the shepherds, they race out and they tell everybody. And people who hear it, they wonder. They go, Whoa, what is this? They had an immediate reaction of wonder and marveling. But Mary doesn't join in the wonder. Instead, she treasures up all these things and ponders them deeply in her heart. For Mary, there is deep meditation and contemplation of the truths that she hears. She evaluates, she thinks critically through the different pieces of the puzzle. She tries to fit them together in her heart. And I pray that we can all take time this Christmas season to treasure up the truth of Christmas and to ponder its truths in our hearts. Because I think we all need Christmas. Maybe now more than ever. You know, two weeks ago, I... I walked my son Andy to his kindergarten class at his school. It's just a few blocks from my house, and I do this every morning. And then I, I walked back home, and then I, I, I got my second kid ready, and I, I drove Caleb to his preschool. I drop him off at his preschool, and I'm making my way back home when I get this text from my wife. There's a reported shooter at the high school, and Andy's class is on lockdown. You know, the high school is just a couple of blocks away from Andy's school. And I, I, I don't know what to do or think. Do I, do I drive there? What do I do? And it turned out later that there wasn't an actual shooter at the school, but someone called in a shooting threat and threatened to shoot up the school, and the police took it seriously. And after school, I gave Andy a huge hug, And my five-year-old explained to me the procedural differences between a lockdown and a shelter in place and what to do if there's a shooter. Heartbreaking. And for the first time, I could even begin to imagine what a parent whose child was shot at school must feel. And then a few days later, Near the school in Jersey City where Jeannie used to teach, there was another shooting with multiple fatalities. And the latest reports are saying that the shooters were planning to target the Jewish children attending the yeshiva next door. And then just this week, Barnard freshman Tessa Majors was stabbed to death in Morningside Park, a park which I've walked through many times alone at night. And they've arrested a 13-year-old boy who they believe to be responsible. These past few weeks, I think for a lot of us, the ugliness of this world has, has hit a bit closer to home. And I know that there are many of you in this room who are suffering and hurting. As as I've been praying for our members. These past few weeks, I've been praying, I think more than ever before, for parents with cancer, for personal sickness, for financial hardship, for depression and anxiety. The list goes on. We need Christmas, the true Christmas. You know, the joy of Christmas, it it reminds us that despite all of the brokenness, sin and death that surround us, we await an even greater advent. An even greater divine intrusion is coming, and when it comes, it will not be quiet. The return of our King, who will right every wrong, who will fix every broken thing, who will wipe away every tear, So especially if you are lowly and weary this holiday season, I want to remind you that Christmas is about glory, but that glory comes to the humbled and bowed down. The angels, they don't appear over the temple in Jerusalem. They don't descend upon the Roman Colosseum. They appear to a group of shepherds. Christmas is especially for the lowly, the hurting, and the broken. Christmas is for you, especially for you. So I say to you, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And I pray that as Christmas approaches, that we would treasure in our hearts what Christmas means and that it would give us an ever-present hope as we deal with the brokenness of this world. Lift up the lowly. Strengthen the weary. Encourage the weak. Thank you for Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name.